But so once Doug's ready there, he's Doug fixing his lights or he's yeah. flexing his muscles there, or what's he doing there? Doug Always. after dark. Wow. <laughs> my son's I'm in my son's room and it's not very well lit at all. I know the lighting was fine until you did up. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. This is exciting. Let's get going. Welcome to another episode of the Sylvester Stallone Podcast part of the last of the action heroes podcast network i'm your host ryan and of course with me as always 90 we say as always we're talking 95 percent. we've done 30 plus 35 episodes of the show it the goal is always to get the three of us on we've got doug from rocky minute and craig from slycast how are you both doing doing good doing good ready to talk some oscar today boys <laughs> i'm doing good as well i am not ready to talk some oscar <laughs> i kicked and screamed about this one you did. This is the most, just that so people don't know this, but of course, the three of us, we have a chat group on Facebook that we correlate through and say hi to or share things with. And regarding this episode with Craig, it's been anytime it's brought up, anytime it's scheduled, you can just sense the, I don't know how to word it, but this it's just text, but it's just like, yeah, sure. Okay. It's so downtrodden. Craig, is there a reason why you'd be so downtrodden about talking about talking about your thoughts and feelings? Of the I, I don't know. It's funny. I know when we did Rhinestone in the in the chat there, our friend John Rivoli said that this was Sly's best comedy. Mm. I have to agree to disagree with John. This movie is just a sluggish bore, and the thought of podcasting about it for ninety minutes is just not exciting to me. Doug. I'll say one thing in preparation to our analysis. Sly benefits most from the ensemble around him. And these guys, his co-stars, elevated even Sly's comedic abilities in this. I, I, okay. I didn't think it was bad. I don't think it's a bad, terrible movie. Okay, It's not great by any stretch, but I'd yeah. watch it again. The bar is so not. low at this point with Sly movies for us, Doug. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. If you're using that measuring stick, yeah, I guess there's been fewer diamonds in the rough than more rough. But. Yeah. Now, this was a, a first watch for you, Doug? Yeah, I've I wouldn't say first watch. I saw it many years okay. ago on HBO or something. And I haven't seen it since. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's it's pretty fresh for me. Okay, so yeah, that's usually our first question, of course, is when did you first see it? I, I'm like you, Doug. This came out in 1991. April 26th, my mother's birthday, actually. April, sorry, April, yeah, April 26th, 1991. I would have been 15 and a half at the time of this release. And I did see this in the theaters. I would have gone at that time. Definitely was a big theater goer at the age of 15. Loved going to the movies. And Stallone, of course, be my, you know, icon hero and a uh, huge fan of Stallone. I And I was a big fan of mafia movies and uh, mob movies. And I'm a big fan of comedy. So all these things lined up for me as a 15-year-old. You can imagine my excitement. This is a mafia film. It had a comedy spin. And being a fan of both comedy and mafia, what could go wrong? What? (laughs) (laughs) So, and I I did not see this. I did not see this in theaters, Ryan. Um, Oh, wow. I thought you would. I may have said it on the Slycast episode when my memory was closer to the time the movie came out by five years but now i probably saw this like doug said sometime on home video in the 90s and then of course i watched it again for slycast and then i watched it again for this show and then i will probably never watch it again life is getting shorter the three of us we're all i always forget our ages but i'm 48 in october and as time continues forward yeah i'm like you craig it's just there's only so much 
time we have left to consume entertainment or anything really and yeah this may be the last time i ever watched the film this actually just might for this show was the and it was the first time i saw the film i dare say in its entirety through a sit-down watch through probably since i saw in the theater so that could be very telling that there's a reason why i never bought it on vhs i never saw it after it on a HBO or movie, whatever movie channel was a paid cable channel back in the day. Never bought it on DVD. So as it one year turns into decade, turns into three decades, I don't think I just ever revisited this film until we prepared for the show. So that's that could be telling for all of us here. Um, okay, so let me give uh, Doug. Do you have a breakdown of the film? I have a write up, Doug. If you don't, I, I don't. But I, I I thought it was I was going to try to do it off the top of my head, but it, it's well, too. I want to hear this. There, no, I can't. There, it's too oh. involved. The plot is is way too convoluted. I, I, yeah, I don't have a plot per se, beat for beat, other than what we could just obviously. I hate to use it's a PDF, it's a three's but, company episode, basically. Yeah, it's okay. More than that, more than that, Craig. I'm glad you brought that up because that's very true. We'll we'll get to that, but before we get to the what, what it compares to, Oscar. For anyone who doesn't know, it's a 1991 American comedy, <laughs> intended comedy film directed by John Landis. We'll talk about him, of course, as well. It takes inspiration from the Claude Maginet stage play, but it's also a remake of the 1967 French film of the same name. So I guess it was a stage and film. But it, but the twist here is that it's a Depression era New York instead of whatever French location they use for the play in the movie. Sylvester Stallone, known for his action-packed roles, adventures again into comedy. He just did, of course, at this time, he did Rhinestone 84 what else did he do? He's tangled cash at some comedy bits stop in 89. It, stop where my mom will shoot was after this? I believe so, yes. He got confidence with his comedy and did a little bit more. So he definitely did comedy with Rhinestone and Tangled Cash. It's definitely an action kind of buddy comedy, like a lethal weapon being comedy. But not the sense of what we're dealing with here. But anyways, he plays a guy named Angelo Snaps. Oh, Provolone, <laughs> a mob boss who makes a heartfelt promise to his dying father to leave the world of crime and become an honest businessman. And joining Stallone are the actors Mercer Tomei, Ornella Muti, Tim Curry, and Chaz. How do you say his last name, Craig? Palmentary. Palmentary. Okay. Yeah. The film's score was composed by Elmer Bernstein. Now, director John Lannis took inspiration from classic Hollywood comedies, particularly the screwball genre. That was big at this time. He, trying to add a charming vintage to the movie. The movie hit theaters in the United States. Of course, I said this already. April 26, 1991, receiving mixed reviews from... I like the fact that you said trying. One thing I wanted to say out up front, uh, Ryan and Doug, is the fact that this was based on a stage play and then a, a film that was made from that stage play is part of the problem with this movie for me because... There are times where you adapt stage plays and you make certain changes for the theatrical experience. A, a good example, not a great movie, probably a bad movie by most people's indication, Rock of Ages. Now, I've seen the Rock of Ages stage play, and it's a, a really fun live mm -hmm. stage experience. But for the movie, they knew there were certain characters that just weren't going to work. The two German okay. guys out the door. And the movie's better for it. Again, a lot of people don't like that movie. It's a fun. It is a fun film. Listen, yeah. I look. If we're talking about Rock of Ages, let's we can talk about that for a while. It, it's a fun film. I love Tom Cruise portrayal of some sort of cross between Axl Rose and uh, 
Yeah, uh, Bon Jovi or Bon Jovi, uh, Axl Rose, and Robert Plant type persona. Yeah, yeah, it's all there. And yeah, he did a great job. I love the uh, the music. And, Have you uh, seen the I, stage play? No, I haven't seen the stage oh, okay. play, but I, I thought the film was fun. It's schlocky yeah. fun, but it's fun. It's like yeah. hairspray or anything like that. There was a whole plot point and a whole set of characters that they just took out because mm-hmm. they knew it would be corny as fuck for the movie. And that's one of the problems with this is they adhered. It, it, it almost looks like they just used the play yeah. because it's mm-hmm. it's almost an hour and 50 minutes long, which it's for a screwball yeah. comedy, an hour 40 is a lot more appropriate. And I just think there's some, for me, as much as I love the performances and the char- and the actors, I don't think you needed the two tailors. They didn't do anything to advance the plot. They might have been the best part of the movie, though. <laughs> well, yeah. And that said, when, when people that have no bearing on the plot right. are the two best parts of the movie, maybe it's time to take a look at the script <laughs> and say, what's going on here? The threat of them being hitmen was, was part of the plot. That was the Three's Company moment that Craig was talking Mm -hmm. about, is that you have that classic sitcom misunderstanding of... But there's multiple ones in this movie, even going back to who his daughter wants to marry. Yeah. Or who his accountant wants to marry. It's The whole movie is set up on on misunderstandings, which is... That's a funny setup. Right away, watching through the movie, I got increasingly... Trading places, coming to America vibes throughout the the entire movie. That, John Landis directed both of both those. of them. He did, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't even realize that myself when I was getting those vibes. Oh wow! Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's directors. What do you call it? Style. Style. Yeah, he yeah. definitely has a style. But but those are are classics. So why does something like Trading Places work, and this doesn't? Script. Yep. Passed. Uh, this is a horrible script. Uh, I want to go back to you, Craig, a little bit of regarding the sitcom Three's Company with the misunderstandings. What it reminded me even more of one of my favorite top three sitcoms of all time, maybe the top two, Frasier. This is an hour and 50 minute episode of Frasier. The writers of Frasier could have done this in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It would have been a more concise, funny plot. They get this, the idea of somebody marrying the wrong daughter, or whatever the father mix up. Think of all those. Fr- I don't know if you guys ever watched Frasier when they have a dinner party that goes awry, awry or whatever. And the, the there's one episode where Niles was throwing a dinner party to his apartment. There was and there was a mix up with the menu and stuff and all these things. And there was a pair, a big bird involved. All these crazy antics in 22 minutes, and you're laughing the whole time through. One hour and 50 minutes of script, and I think I chuckled. I think I might have smirked I, or been like, huh, once. That's <laughs> one laugh, one one amused moment. It is one of the – there's something oddly dull about this film. It, it feels frantic. Okay, it's designed to look frantic. And we're supposed and to sound be, frantic with the music, it, yeah. Exactly. We have Stallone's character snaps – I guess he was nicknamed Snaps because he snaps his fingers. And yeah, when he gives orders, give me breakfast, give me my grapefruit. But he doesn't always talk. He snaps without speaking, too. That's part of the idea is that people understand his snaps and some sort of second or third language that his snaps will indicate the order without him actually verbalizing what he's indicating that needs to get done. And people will jump to his snaps. Okay, before we get to any, okay, we can talk, we can. Put a bow tie on the snaps. Ridiculous nickname. It's not funny. It's overplayed. And people that snap at me, I'll break your thumbs, man. Don't you snap at me. And I just this the behavior of a snapping. We're supposed to be scared of that. He's supposed. I know he was a big mob boss, and that's the idea. He's a 
Godfather-esque type mob boss, but he doesn't show any kind of scariness or any reason why I should be intimidated by this character throughout the film. Just because you've gone quote-unquote clean or, or legit – there was no – imagine uh, The Sopranos. Imagine the plot line in The Sopranos. I believe – I haven't seen it in a while. There may, may have been one throughout their five seasons or whatever that uh, James Gandolfini – what's it? Tony Soprano, that he was trying to go straight. And there was times that Tony was actually funny and he would be comedic. You would laugh. But just as much as you would laugh at Tony or find him funny as a viewer, then you were terrified of him as well. That's good writing. That's good character development. But we're also we're, talking about one of the greatest TV performances of all time. <laughs> I, mean, like, I know, but what I'm getting at is you have a character who's yeah, a mafia guy. Yeah, you're genuinely both, afraid, but he's also able to be funny. Yes, yeah. and Stallone's character was neither fearsome nor funny. Doug? No, I don't. But I don't think that's... Yeah, he's a mob boss in the movie, but it's supposed to be a slapsticky role. So you thought you it know? succeeded with the humor? <sighs> well, defend be, the uh, film. Maybe you're yeah, the defender. Uh, sure. All right, all right. I'll, 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 I will try to defend the film. All right. Yeah, I, I don't think he's supposed. You're not supposed to look at this as a, a high drama, Goodfellas no. style no, 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 uh, drama. But Sly is his character is a mob boss everything goes wrong it's one of those classic tales of murphy's law in this movie but he's not supposed to be he's supposed to be the subject of all the humor the idiots that work for him he's the one that's got to clean up their mess or he he tries to pull out a gun but because he's not supposed to have a gun anymore he pulls out a turkey it's dumb stupid slapstick shit that 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 (laughs) oh there was that one scene right doug where he asked he says give me the gun then he's give me your backup gun. Yeah, yeah. And that, he, yeah. Chaz Palantari, he's, yeah. he's 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 unloading all his pockets, and it keeps going and going. It's that rule of comedy that it stopped being funny, and yeah. he kept pulling out more and more ridiculous weapons, and it became funny again. Oh wow, okay. So maybe I missed that because I'm not even joking. I'm not even trying to be funny. But when we got to that scene when he pulled out the third weapon, mm-hmm. I hit skip on my <laughs> player. <laughs> Because once I got the joke, once once I knew where this was going, I went skip, skip, skip. Wow, this scene is quite long, and it, I don't know why that would be. The, the desk is piling up, and every the you know, he did. Ugh, sorry, the only thing he didn't bring out was a bazooka. It was that kind of, but in the it which which is weird because that would have worked had it been part of a Naked Gun film, but this movie wasn't Naked Gun humor. That scene would have fit Naked Gun, yes or that kind of parody loaded weapon or naked gun that kind of humor perfect that kind of scene would be a almost a throwaway scene and a lot of scenes of naked gun humor okay well, but I the problem feel like this was that kind of movie. no that's what i'm getting this is a fraser like episode where everything else was just dialogue spitfire dialogue where to go in this room have this conversation with this character this information is given now we have new information as a character and as a viewer now we're going to go into this room with these characters with their information they're sharing information they're sharing information that we're crossing rooms going through the house up down downstairs upstairs downstairs and then every now and then we get the exterior shot of the cops looking into the chaos trying to figure out what's going on with their purview of the chaos of information flowing back and <coughs> forth between these characters and the information that's given is it's never funny. It's always just a misunderstanding. Then they catch up to each other with the plot a little bit, and then it gets lost again, and then they get caught up again, and, the, and then everyone lives happily ever after at the end. And I just, there's just too much going on. Too and Oscar gets talking. his ass kicked. They yeah. get his ass, right? They <laughs> carry do, him do out of the church. And- <clears throat> do you want to mention who Oscar is as a character and who played him? This is actually one of the more interesting parts of the film, believe it or not. Do you know who played Oscar in the film? 
I oh, good. Can I share something interesting? Okay, the, the, now people, because people before people turn off the episode, I have something very interesting, very the deep dive here. Okay, the actor who plays Oscar, his name is Jim Mulholland. No one. Okay, so he wrote the film from the screenplay. Okay, he's actually not only did he write the film, but he's actually kind of a legit comedy writer in the industry. He wrote for Johnny. Did he write Carson. for Jay Leno. He wrote for oh, Johnny. He wrote for Johnny Carson. Oh, good for him. Yes. And not only did he write for Johnny, so Johnny was at a do- – now, I'm going to show this to you guys. If you have two minutes, I might edit it for the audio episode release. But it's a two-minute clip, but you guys would appreciate it. So it's Don Rickles at a Johnny Carson roast, and Don Rickles is doing his roast portion. And Jim Mulholland, the writer of Oscar and the guy who played Oscar in the film at the very end of the film, gets carried out of the chapel, and his that is his only film credit ever, okay? He happens to be at this Don. So he's a writer for Johnny. So he's in the audience at the Johnny Carson roast, and he gets roasted by Don Rickles in the process. Oh, so there wow. you go. Yeah. How about that for a fine? So here we are. I'll show it to you right now. <laughs> I don't know who you are, kid in the front, but you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> I saw a little kid with a drip-dry shirt with no stay in the collar. What's your name, kid? Take your time. What's your name? Ron! What's your last name, Jim? You better answer me or the general will wipe you off. What's your last name, Jim? Take your time. Look on your underwear. Maybe it's stencil. Jim Mulholland? I'm in the business 20 years. I don't have a joke for a dumbbell that's named Mulholland. What are you, a road? Hope you make a left and go right into yourself. Alan King, who said to me in his beautiful country estate, Notice how the hunting dogs bite your wife. <laughs> He's the type that hangs around a health club and wants to pull off your towel. <laughs> Is this too fast for you, Mulholland? Why did I put one dumbbell right in the front? I'm rolling, and this kid's going, pull off the towel? <laughs> So there's oh my hit. goodness! I w- I was muted because my laughter would have probably ruined the, the playback. <laughs> Man, absolute legend! Don Rickles, Rickles was the best. Yeah, I love it, and I figured you guys would appreciate that humor. I know you guys are a fan of that. Those days, the Johnny Carson days, and Don Rickles roasting. Boy, he was great. But what a find! Uh, not me, but I lucked out uh, by searching about this actor writer, and it just so happened on YouTube that, that somebody found this clip. I don't know who or why they made this clip, but they act, the whole clip is Don Rickles discovers that John Mulholland. But this guy wrote. So t- talk about yeah, talk about that. Imagine that being roasted by Don Rickles like that. What an honor to be honest. Yeah, maybe Jim uploaded it. He has or Johnny mean uh, John Mulholland? Yeah, uh, is he dead? I th- actually no, I don't think he is. Actually, he okay. was he, he was a young writer with Johnny. Yeah, he's still active according to his Wikipedia. Yeah. He's he still looked alive. really young in the movie. So he wanted to explain who he was. So Oscar, the title character of the movie, is yes. Stallone's daughter's 
boyfriend who's off to war. Correct. That's right. That's it. And he shows up at the very end of the film to say, "No, I I don't want the I don't want Marissa Tomei's character to get married." Because they're like, enough, you're not messing this up anymore. We, we've got to this point. They carry him away and the movie ends. That's how I took it, right? Final um, punchline. Do we want to talk about Marissa Tomei in this film? She she goes for it. She yeah, overacts. But the, the that, thing. That's the way it was I, written. Yeah. And I, I wanted to comment. She on, almost seems I, like one of the only people that got it, Doug. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say yeah, she yeah, was yeah. the highlight. She was the highlight. Mm-hmm. If you picked her up and and dropped her in black and white into a, yes. a movie from the forties, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, you wouldn't blink an eye that she's out of place. She's got that that Rita Her Hayworth cadence, and she I was, was gonna. Tw- she was twenty seven in that film. Oh, I thought she was younger. No, twenty six, maybe twenty six during the filming of it. Yeah, I was gonna say. I know people accuse Stallone of overacting, and he certainly does in this. But everybody does, and she's the one that pops into my mind. Nobody can accuse Stallone of really overdoing it and not bring Marissa Tomei into the conversation either. But yeah, the thing is, Marissa Tomei did her homework. She was probably yeah, she understood one the, of the assignment few that actually knew the assignment. Yeah, and went home and probably watched. The six movies that John Landis suggested watching or whatever. Hmm. Kurtwood Smith pulls it off, but he's yeah. a much yeah, lesser yeah. character. And Kurtwood Smith is an absolute amazing actor. I, I you don't can think go from will. the dad on that 70s show to Clarence Boddicker and Robocop. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> not many people can do that. Yeah. Well, he goes I, for it too. Everyone did fine. Actually, that was one not to take. I hate reading people's critics, like the professional critics, because I don't like to be biased when we do our own reviews of the film. But one of the bylines i saw with the mixed reviews was is that the cast isn't the issue Mm. and that's not the problem the movie here's the thing if you were to i don't know how to say this because if you were just to look at the movie visually the movie looks great it's a great looking movie Mm -hmm. it is a stage film now there's a lot of films that are successful that don't need more than one or two interior exterior shots. Oscar is such a film, and I've forgotten this. So when I saw this for the first time after 30 years, I'd forgotten that this all takes place in one house. Essentially, the yeah. whole film takes place. I'd forgotten that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm an old enough person at my age watching films. I can watch something on one stage. I don't mind that. I, there's just something. It's almost They almost did the impossible with this, with the cast, with already having a play in place. I wonder, was the original play successful? Was it funny? Was it considered a French classic? Because if you already have a formula that works, why isn't it that it didn't work in an English format? It, it Was it lost in translation? That's what I'm confused about because you have people who can act. You have people that showed up. Everyone, nobody dialed it in. I don't mind the corniness of the characters. I, I do not mind it at all. They were trying to be like naked gun type characters. Marissa Tomei was a great example of somebody who through no fault of her own, the script wasn't great. And she, but her, the way she acted as that throwing a tantrum on the bed. And I just loved the way she was. I thought she was definitely the highlight. And she was, I, I've forgotten how gorgeous she is. She was just a stunner of a, of a young lady. Anyway, so yeah. And that was one of her first films too. This almost introducing Marissa Tomei, if you didn't know that. This was her bi- first biggest role ever. Mm-hmm. She definitely got a career from this regardless. Okay, before we get to uh, more stuff from the plus, I know... Craig, you probably know more than anyone maybe about John Lannis. Do you want to talk about John Lannis? And the other question I have for you is, did this movie wreck his career? Did this movie wreck his career? (laughs) 
My wife's using a blender. Oh, sure. No worries. Hopefully she's done in a minute. Uh, so I don't know if you want to just riff for. Okay. Let me just, let me, while you're collecting your thoughts on John Landis, I'll just say, of course, we all know the name, but I even went to Wikipedia just to double check. Oh, he did that film. He did that film. So the, here's some of the big ones he did. Of course, he did the Kentucky Fried movie. I was considered maybe one of his bigger first time comedy hits. Mm-hmm. Animal House. Now, I ha- I mentioned on one of her Facebook posts uh, with Katie. She does her own podcast called the Retro Made Podcast. She also co-hosts with me on the Rocky Podcast. She's fantastic. She's great. And she did a post about Animal House. And I made a mention, which I got uh, raked over the coals for, especially by Craig, of course, where I... I said I hadn't seen Animal House. It came out when one thing. It came out when Wait, I was no, wasn't years. that Revenge of the Nerds? I thought it was Animal House. No, it was Revenge of the Nerds because I kept calling you a nerd. I kept oh, that's you. right. You did. <laughs> Sorry to ruin your bit, Ryan. But yes, no, nerds. It's yeah. it funny. It, it doesn't ruin my bit per se because I feel if I've seen one or the other, it's been once and that's it. And that was decades ago. So I haven't seen Animal House or Nerds in 30 to 35 years. Okay, so Landis, he directed Animal House, big name, a big movie. It's almost like I know more about the film as a film than know the film, if that makes sense. Blues Brothers, of course. American Werewolf in London, these are huge. Coming soon, I haven't heard about. Trading Place is huge. Twilight Zone, the movie, he did a segment in that one as well. Spies Like Us. He killed some people on that. That's the one. That's him, eh? Yeah, he killed Dick Morrow. Jennifer Jason Lee's father and two... Was it uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's father? Yeah. And then no, also two young, innocent Vietnamese children. Yeah. I know he was found not liable in a court of law, but. That's right. I I've, though, I've also personally seen John Landis be a rude to people. I was at a convention probably a dozen years ago at this point with Karen Allen was in the audience, not participating in the, the panel, but just in the audience watching and Niedermeyer from Animal House, the guy from the Twisted Sister videos. They were together. Now, I don't know if they were together, but they were sitting together. Mm-hmm. But I saw John Landis berate a poor audiovisual guy. The projector wasn't working or something, so they called him in. And instead of John Landis being a professional and saying, hey, we have some difficulties, let me riff for a couple minutes, he decided to berate some poor guy that was probably making nine bucks an hour and embarrass him in front of 200 people. Mm-hmm. Just absolute asshole behavior. I'm really not a fan of the guy as a, a person. But yeah, he's made some absolute classics, but there was a point where he lost it. He made Beverly Hills Cop 3. Before we get to that, before we get to that, I just want to finish this, his, the films you're talking about. So yeah, despite him being a murderer, he went on to make, <laughs> let's be honest, Spies Like Us. I saw that in the theaters. I loved that movie as a kid. Yeah. Three Amigos I loved. Mm-hmm. Coming to America, of course. And then, so Coming to America was 88, and then the return three years later, he then returned with Oscar. And other than maybe the box office draw to some degree of a Beverly Hills Cop, which was part three ninety four, he never really did anything again. He did he, he did his own sequel, The Blues Brothers, Blues Brothers two thousand. Did you see that one? Either one of you? Mm-mm. No Belushi. There's no no reason to watch yeah. it. John Goodman. No thanks. Yeah. I like John Goodman. I like Dan Aykroyd, but <laughs> yeah, John the Blues Brothers <laughs> works because of John Belushi. Yeah, yeah. I and I don't want to. I don't want to discount whatever talent John Landis may or may not have. But if you look at the, that filmography, look at the people be involved behind the scenes. Animal House was written by the pinnacle writers at Nash at the Lampoon at the time. Mm-hmm. Trading Places again. Look at the pedigree behind it. He had just. He was really lucky to be involved with some films that are just absolutely stellar movies of their time and in their genres. Mm -hmm. But I I don't think he's 
the sole ingredient for that. Want to yeah, hear something? Want to hear something ironic here, guys? John Landis was an executive producer of a film in 2012, an American comedy drama horror film. He was executive executive producer of this film. The title was "Some Guy Who Kills People." <laughs> he and did it wasn't a, an autobiography. No, it wasn't an autobiography. Is there that, was the, there crazy. was a film in the mid '80s called "Into the Night." Jeff Goldblum. And that was a, it was a a joint, it was an act of solidarity by all of Hollywood's best directors at the time that all came together to show solidarity for John Landis. And they all start, not start, but they all had little bit parts in the movie. Really? Yeah. It's, I've never heard of this. Yeah. Cronenberg was in it. Yeah. I'm looking again at the Wikipedia because I saw, yeah. So cameo appearances here. Mm-hmm. One's the names people, Jonathan Demi, a lot of big names back in the Lawrence Kasdan, the other huge names in the industry that we obviously enough to have their own Wikipedia page, but they're older time names. But the big cast, Dan Aykroyd, David Bowie. Oh, I see. Yeah. David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. But that was the, them coming together after the um, after, after the Twilight Zone debacle. It was um, all trial. Yeah. It was found not liable or whatever. His I mean, biggest but. crime was violating labor laws, right? He didn't murder those people in the sense where he spun the helicopter blade to cut their heads off. <laughs> no, but I also think that a direct result of that incident, a lot of things were changed on how film sets were yes, approached. I that's mean, right. it, it's my understanding, and I haven't read the books on this, and I haven't read the court transcripts, but I, I probably watched the e True Hollywood story on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but from what I understand, Landis just wanted it to look bigger. Right. So that involved getting helicopters closer to actors that probably shouldn't have been in proximity. Mm-hmm. But then it gets into the point where there's professionals that say, hey, we're at a point where it's no longer safe. Yeah. So that's ultimately why Landis was not found uh, legally responsible for it. Mm-hmm. But there's a Faces of Death style video, a really far off shot from, from the helicopter collapsing. It's yeah. It's absolutely tragic. I think about people that have died on movie sets before, and there's a lot of them. Brandon Lee, we all know, but Dar Robinson was doing a stupid motorcycle stunt that he died after the stunt. He was just driving, slowly riding the motorcycle. One of the most legendary. Dar Robinson. He played up Bunny Eyes in the Burt Reynolds movie Stick. He is just if you're looking at stuntmen from the 70s and, and early 80s, Dar Robinson is an absolute legend you put him up there against Vic armstrong and he he w- invented the technology of the, the oh he went off a, he went off a cliff yeah, yeah. he went off but a cliff it, <laughs> sorry he rode his stunt motorcycle past the breaking point yeah of a turn it was just a freak a accident Oof. if you look at the movies this guy did and some of the stunts he did a sick high fall you've watched the burt reynolds movie stick before right no Oh, wow. Okay. Spoiler, he does a, a great high fall. He he actually acts in that movie as well. No, but what I was saying is, it's just hard about that occasionally. I'm, these people, Vic Morrow woke up that morning and went to work. Right. And he didn't come home that night. There's very few jobs where you're not going to come home at the end of the day. Yeah, and and those two little those. kids, those two little kids, their parents were like, hey, this is cool. Our kids are going to be extras in a movie. Mm-hmm. And their yeah. kids didn't come home that night, and yeah, those they, kids didn't became, have a life. They became extra extras. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's a real, they, it's a real they, bummer. They didn't even have a part in the final cut either. 
I don't think we should say parts and cuts with the yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think any of that footage. No. It, that, no, the, I don't know. The, the Vic Morrow skit is in the movie, but it's yeah. the whole it's Vietnamese weird. the hel- the helicopter part isn't in there. Crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay, let's, let's no I love that sidebar stuff because we've said a lot about the film, but so the way we feel about the film and going yeah, through the plot. I, go, I did want to get I, I uh, you're going to do a plot rundown at this point yeah. but i i do want to I, I do want to talk about some more genuinely funny movie moments Please, and yeah. i don't think it completely delivered but the very beginning of the movie after we get through that six minute opera piece which just did not work for me the claymation oh. the california raisin <laughs> guy yeah. okay um, well, i actually have a i have the film but anything you want to speak to we have time no i was gonna list. say that i you get uh, his parents uh, you get kurt russell and yvonne de carlo and Kurt Russell, or not Kurt Russell, Kirk Douglas. I was going to say, wow, Kurt yeah. Russell, the makeup job there. Yeah, no, Kirk Douglas, that's, it, it tries to, or it attempts to set the tone for the movie. And I just, I don't think it's executed 100%. But you can see what they're going for, especially when he promises the dad he won't, he'll give up crime. And then everybody thinks the dad's dead. That's and then he wakes work. up one last time and he punches Stallone. He slaps like, the shit yeah. out of him. And that, yeah. You like, didn't laugh me, at any of this? Yeah. That, That's the kind of stuff that no. works for me. And okay, you guys yeah. know I love stupid shit. And this is yeah, yeah. a scene full of stupid shit. This one worked. Yes. Okay. Let's watch a little bit of it. And I'll I'll, I'll tell you why, Doug. It didn't make me laugh. It may have made me. I'll say now. It may, it may have made me chuckle in the theaters but the problem was i knew that scene from the trailers even back when i was a teenager so i knew that scene was coming so i didn't laugh again that's i that's why i never like to watch comedy trailers for that reason i don't want to see any funny parts before the movie uh i actually don't watch trailers in general because i don't want to be spoiled by anything uh that being said i knew that scene and this is the only scene that i remembered from the film so when they went into the one piece or the one set piece film after this sequence i'd forgotten that but this is the only part that stuck to with me after 30 years for better or for worse i remembered this whole sequence of him but let's just watch a little bit of right now since i have it ready i'll go straight i promise so now his dad falls back and you think he's going to die Amici as the priest. That's right. <laughs> That's a so you won't forget. And look at that. Look at the camera. Break at the fourth wall. He does His, it a few times. Yeah, two or three. You're absolutely right, Doug. He does it two or three times for the film where he looks at the camera, looks at the audience. That that ruins it for me. Don't do that. Don't look at the camera. Don't I don't like that. Or yeah. here's the balancing act. This sequence is we have a naked gun film. That's where I thought it was going. Him pretending that he's dead. Slaps, uh, uh, slap snaps in the face. Snaps looks at the camera with the other. Like, I can't believe I just got slapped by him. I didn't see that coming. All that. But then when we get to the film, it just turns into an overdrawn 22-minute sitcom episode of misunderstandings, miscommunication, misidentification of characters, sharing information. It's not the complete story. And but we're supposed to feel like we're supposed to laugh at each sequence. And I found myself slightly stressed and or annoyed. I wanted everyone just to get together in the room and talk it out. And it was never happening. 
And it's it's a device again that works in a twenty minute sitcom, but not an hour and forty five minutes. That's the problem. That the idea isn't not sound; it's just dragged out for film. But before we get into more film talk, I have another clip here I want to show you guys. This clip will just speak for itself. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. As you can see in Oscar, Kirk played my father, and the scene was supposed to be where he's laying in bed and actually just leans over and gives me a movie slap. He's laying there with his eyes closed, and they're closed very tight, and he's swinging and he's missing. So I said, Kirk, look, you were in that great film Champion, and ever since I did Rocky, you've been dying to take a shot at me. So I said, I'll tell you what, do it. No problem. Go for it. I can take it. <laughs> Let me have your best, Kirk. I was joking. Next thing, <laughs> forehand, backhand, left, and the director, John Landon, says, that's beautiful. Let's do another take. I said, what, you crazy? I said, I'm getting brain damage here. He said, ah, go on, be a sport. Anyway, we did it, and I learned the hard way, never spar with Spartacus. <laughs> of all the heroes I saw on the screen growing up, none of them had a greater impact than you. And I have to say, that's probably one of the major contributing factors to me ever wanting to go into films. And thank you. And Michael, wherever you are, don't mess with your father. Ciao. Okay, a couple things here. What I love about Sly is I don't know if I believe anything he says. The more I... Isn't that weird? I see you nodding your head. It's it's. Is he just a storyteller? And I don't... It's not, it's not harming anyone. It's not hurting anybody. There's no crime being committed. But I feel like everything's a story. Everything yeah. is so whimsical and so... It, it, do you guys catch that? Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I speak, We were speaking of Revenge of the Nerds earlier, and you probably won't would know the reference, but the guy who played Booger, Curtis Armstrong... Right. Yeah, I remember. Um, he went yeah, on okay. to do Moonlighting with Bruce Willis. Right. I read his autobiography recently, and he talked about some interactions with Bruce Willis. He said he was a, a nice guy. He was always nice to him. But he said every conversation he had with Bruce Willis was a rehearsal for something he would go on to say in a public setting. Uh, so genuine moments he thought he had with Bruce, he'd watch a press conference the next day and Bruce would say verbatim what he had said to Curtis. Yeah. And that's when Curtis realized that Bruce was always performing. And Sly's probably very similar in his public presentation. Very interesting. And I totally agree. I don't know if it's an actor, celebrity thing, but I watched, of course, I watched the family Stallone reality show and I'm going to watch season two. I watched season one. I'm going to watch season two, but it, this, it's the same thing. Sly has this, I think it, so I know his daughters and his wife were, were the most real closest to maybe who they are. That's just who Sly is. That's, it's not that he's lying in the sense that's just who he is. He is a storyteller. He tells stories and everything is a story. It's not the truth or it might be basic. He might have said to Kirk Douglas, hey, you know what? Just don't be afraid. You can hit me. You can. And then he took some liberty with it. But it, it spins a better tale the way he told him. No, don't mess with Spartacus. When you were the mm -hmm. champion. And ever since you saw me in Rocky, you've always wanted to beat me up. What? Why would Kirk? No, or, or ever since I left, ever since you left the set of First Blood, you wanted to slap me. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say you beat me to it. I was going to give you some trivia. When was the last film they worked in together that didn't work out? Yeah. Kirk Douglas, anyone listening, he tried Troutman, out for. Right? Yeah. He was going to play Carl Troutman, but he wanted to change the <laughs> script they so badly. Film for two weeks? 
Yeah, I think so. They got some film with him, but the problem was he wanted to become Rambo by the end of the film. Was well, he I the mean, one yeah. that, that wanted the shot in the rear view mirror of him him tilting the rear view mirror to his own face or something? He also <laughs> wanted to kill Rambo at the end. That was the, the major... Which was in the book and understandable well, if you want to stick closely to the... It's true. Uh, it, was trauma. it was trauma that killed Rambo, but he wanted to become <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> he wanted the hero's moment at the end yes. of the film. He he shoot, he puts Rambo down and then he drives off and, and the last shot is him in the car <laughs> tilting the rear view mirror down to show his own face or something like that. And they were like... No, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. That's hilarious. We Kirk is co- Kirk is okay. great though. I actually just watched Kirk Douglas movie from the late seventies last night. That um, a Brian oh. De, Tom- De Palma movie called The Fury. Oh, I have yet to see that. I have never watched it before. I've been very selective in watching Brian De Palma movies because everyone I watch, I absolutely love. So mm. it's just saving, You're spreading uh, it out. Yeah, but man, uh, yeah, I love going back to those old movies now. I've been doing that a lot lately. Yeah, watching but Kirk I watched kicks Heaven's Gate it. this recently. Sorry. Oh, okay, wow, yeah. yeah, first time I've never seen it, and that's a movie that had a lot of baggage with it. So you probably went in with these expectations. Oh wow, this is a movie that almost bankrupted a studio. It ended a director's career, and then you were probably, oh, "That's not that bad." No, I know it's weird. <laughs> it's weird when you look back at these films. Yeah, Kirk, I forgot. He just died recently. He lived to 103. You know what? When I was watching The Fury last <laughs> night, it was I cannot tell you if Kirk is still alive or not. And I was so into the movie, I wasn't going to stop it to get out my phone. 2020. And, like, he died yeah, in 20. Okay. Just three years ago. Lived to 103. Can you imagine? 103 mm-hmm. years on this planet. Good for him. Uh, we got some uh, good comments here from uh, Alistair, who's in our chat. He said here regarding the stories, he goes, the story always changes, which suggests it's all exaggerated, which is true. He's done it with the Rocky script story. He's done it with a lot of different stories. He always, it's always changing. He changes his own amounts, the own, that sort of thing that he was offered for money. Alistair also said that regarding John Lennis, he says, if Oscar didn't sing John Lennis's career, then Beverly Hills Cop 3 might have. And lastly, he said that if Oscar does in Oscar, does Sly adapt that fast talking technique that he previously used in Tango and Cash? Yeah, he probably carried it over the same type of clip. You know and, what, what kind of makes me think of because everybody's first introduction to Sly was Rocky. So even in interviews after Rocky and, and his performances that are different to Rocky, it's like he wants to prove that he's not Rocky. So he does that fast talking thing and be like, "Yeah, Rocky's slow, but I'm I'm quicker." I don't know. I, I always got that that feeling in his some of his performances and especially interviews. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What Sly does with Tango Cash and what he did with Oscar, he's showing audiences to a degree that he's not a slur talker, that he can actually yeah, speak. He has a, yeah, yeah, he does that right at that. Look at me, I can talk fast, blah, 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 blah. Right. And yeah, just showcasing that I no, I don't just talk like this in films. So you're right. right. It's a bit of a stereotype that he's breaking, and he, and he does break it. He is showcasing it again. It's not necessarily, it's not, he acts, again, everyone in this movie acts just fine. Does anyone want to break down generally what the plot is for anyone that actually hasn't seen the film that might be interested in watching the film? Yeah. So it's basically a a tale of two couples, right? So his accountant, Snap's accountant comes to him saying he wants to marry his daughter. He needs a raise. And oh, by the way, I found a a flaw in your accounting system and I've been stealing from you. (laughs) Turns yeah. out that the account is not in love with Sly's Snaps' daughter. It's a woman who said he Snaps' daughter. So then that gets the Three's Company aspect yeah. of this movie going because 
Then Snaps goes and has a whole conversation with his daughter about who she wants to marry. She's talking about somebody completely different. So we've already got the mix up there. And then there's a, another woman who comes to Snaps, right? And says, I told somebody I was your daughter, right? <laughs> I yeah. watched it two weeks ago at this point. We were supposed to record earlier. Yeah, we were supposed to record earlier. What happened? Whose yeah. fault was that again? I can't remember. That was mine. I got stuck yeah, at it work. It doesn't matter. It always and then is she mine. turns out to really be his daughter. And no, that was, that whole... was the mother of, of the second girl who claimed to be his daughter. That was actually turned out to be his real daughter. Yeah. It's very convoluted. And then there's a suitcase that's got laundry and money in it, and it keeps getting confused. And jewels. There's three suitcases. Yeah, jewels. There's a payoff that's happening, and the yeah. girl kept, keeps getting an Uber driver, and mm-hmm. we get that back and forth. Uh, yeah. So I got a quick little write-up here. So in the comedy – sorry, in the film, things get complicated when Anthony discovers that Teresa, the woman he loves, is not snaps his daughter as claim. Snaps tricks Anthony into agreeing to marry his actual daughter, Lisa, who is unhappy with the arrangement. However, Lisa falls in love with Dr. Thornton Poole instead. Then, meanwhile, the police and a mob rival, Vendetti, are both watching Snaps' mansion, suspecting he's meeting with Chicago mobsters. Anthony seeks out Teresa while Snaps reconnects with an old flame, Roxy. Teresa is revealed to be Roxy's daughter, making Snaps her father. And then during a meeting with bankers, Snaps realizes they intend to take advantage of him. And decides to return to a life of crime. And in the end, there's a double wedding for his daughters. And Oscar himself makes a memorable appearance. With a joyful double wedding, the movie concludes on a high note. There you go. That's I got the little way. Now, as much as I love Tim Curry, man, was this just weird, uncomfortable he was a very, casting. This was, he was probably the biggest miscast. I agree. He's a great actor, great comedic and drama actor. This is a bit of a miscast for him. There might have been some sort of, excuse the pun, some favored curried from a previous film role that he did with, with that he did with Landis with the, it just clue, felt the creepy clue, the right he's felt... much older is he old, much yeah, older it... than yeah he might have been miscast but he's 20 he... years older than the character so the actors are 20 years apart and it shows in this film because Marissa is 26 in the film in real life but she looks 21 she looks quite young she could pass for a 21 year old barely 21 year old whereas Tim Curry looks every part of his age in that film he looks almost 40 yeah He's so funny. <laughs> I don't care what you give. You you could have that guy read the dictionary and I will laugh. Great actor. His facial expressions. It, it, he's just he, he's always on another level. He always goes for it. Now, the guy, the actor that played Anthony, the, the clerk, right? Or the, the guy, young. his name is Vincent Spano. And he, him, he was actually, again, the cast is not the problem. The, what they bring or how they bring it. Everyone's dialed in to their roles, okay? They're all acting like this is night five of a seven-week run, or sorry, like a seven-night run in, on Broadway. They're all dialed in. They're all giving their full performance. Nobody is – they're all fighting to keep their spot on the Broadway play, right? Vincent, again, Vincent Spanel, who plays this, I thought, oh, boy, he seems familiar, or he seems like I've seen this guy before. And he has a lot of television and film roles, but he just never made it anywhere. He has a lot of roles. He's been in a lot of stuff. This is probably his biggest screen time role. And I thought he probably should have deserved a better time in Hollywood. I, I Am I crazy here? Or? Did he do stage stuff? Because he has that kind of delivery. Not uh, he, Looking at his Wikipedia, there's no stage work. Just uh, film, films and TV. What are your guys' thoughts on him? Because I thought he was strong. I thought he would. He's got it that face. Fine. 
Yeah, I, it was weird that he just never, of all the actors, it, he just never did much afterwards. As far as prominent mm-hmm. FaceTime, he's been a steady worker, which is an okay way to be. I've always said, if you're going to be one of these guys, there's a documentary, I forget what it's called, but it's something like, oh, you're that guy. I know that face or something, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's actually not a bad gig, if you think about it. Like, there's no pressure. That's right. There's no, you're not carrying a movie. Yeah. It's not your job to to open the movie. That's right. If the if uh, Mission Impossible film bombs, which the latest one apparently isn't doing as well as they hope financially, I heard it's a good film, but it's just not bringing in the box office. It's not Vin Rames isn't worried. It's not his film. They're not saying it's a Vin Rames. They're always saying it's Tom Cruise. They're putting it on his shoulders, whatever the or the Indiana Jones films. It's on. It's always on Harrison's. So yeah, you're right. Being the being a character actor or just a a, a working actor. It's not a bad way because you still can go to Disneyland or go shopping, and right. but you have a steady income and work on film. I don't think it's a bad way to go. Yeah, no, if it, that's probably the preferred way to go. You're making a living, and you don't get mobbed everywhere you you go. But you get mobbed everywhere you go. Don't no. you? <laughs> I also think it depends on where you choose to live. You mentioned Harrison Ford, Ryan, but Harrison Ford lives in Montana. That's right. He has These farming. people that, that bitch about not being able to go out, don't live in L.A. Don't live mm. in New York City. Be like Harrison right. Ford and move to Montana. Nobody in Montana cares who he is. He can go to the local grocery store and not get mobbed because people in Montana don't care. There are people that make a living taking pictures in L.A. and New York and Miami and Chicago. It, yeah, I, I don't know. You build this cage for yourself. Deal with it. Now, John Belushi was originally going to be a part of this film obviously before his death wow so it was in development that long yeah wow yeah so it, it, it with john lennon's attached it, director I guess who was he gonna out. play i think snaps wow <laughs> okay That's a, yeah he would have joined up with animal yeah, was, house co-star Rigert and landis obviously there you go peter, peter Riger. Also a highlight of this film. He does that. Like you said, Marissa Tomei understood the assignment. So did Peter Rigert. He had that. that yeah, he was quick great. talking no. 40s drawl. Yes. And didn't he, he play the councilman in Sopranos that gets uh, beat with the belt? Wasn't that him? Yeah, he was. He was. Yes, that's right. He, has, yeah. he was Assemblyman Ronald Zellman. Six episodes of Sopranos. <laughs> and he gets beat with the belt. He does a complete <laughs> nude scene where he gets completely emasculated by Tony in front of Tony's ex-mistress. Yeah, he's a great actor. He, you're right. So him and Tommy were highlights as far as they came with that ha she she that kind of talk. They were they dialed in for sure in, in the silliness of the him and Chaz Palminteri had that that. Like, do you remember the old cartoons? There was the the little mobster guy and then the big Muggsy. Yeah, that, yeah. that was Peter Riger and Chaz Palminteri in there this film. And Perfect the, to a T. That they yeah. reminded me of those two guys. Chad oh, was, was awesome in this too. He put playing the dopey slow guy. Yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, tighten this movie up. Don't don't be married to the idea that you have to do a, a faithful adaptation of this stage play. Yeah. Again, screwball comedy, 95 to 100 minutes. That yeah, extra 10 minutes yeah. does matter. It does. You might say, oh, 10 minutes isn't anything. Think of all the things you can do in 10 minutes and then get back to me. And that's the main problem with this movie is tonally it wasn't 100% consistent. Like Ryan said, it's got those naked gun moments. But then also, just tighten it up. And it would have been a much better movie. Ryan alluded to it is, and this it was the same experience for me. There were so many times during this movie where I checked my watch. Mm-hmm. And you know what? When I watched Rhinestone, I didn't check my watch. 
And if that's a barometer of whether a movie's doing its job or not, I'm oh, sorry, okay. I gotta, I gotta throw mm-hmm. the support to Rhinestone on this one. Yeah, I felt every uh, minute of the hour and fifty or whatever it was, but there was enough sprinkled in there to keep me entertained, to keep me chuckling. I knew the whole bag thing. Every time another black bag came into the scene, I was like, "Oh, here we go again." But right. then the next scene shows Chaz Palminteri when Snaps tells him, don't take your eyes off the bag. He puts the bag on the table and starts just staring at it until he gets distracted. And of course, shenanigans ensue. But that moment. Uh, That's what Mulligan or Mulholland put in the script too. shenanigans mm-hmm. ensue. And he let them oh, worry yeah. about it. <laughs> but that, that moment with Chaz Palminteri being an idiot, it kept me kept me hooked. So Jim Mulholland, speaking of him, he actually uh, helped write Bad Boys, by the way. Look at that. Do you know who was originally supposed to be in Bad Boys? Who? And we're talking about the Will Smith Bad Boys, right? Not yeah, the yeah, John yeah, Penn well, Bad Boys. Yeah, okay. no, yeah. Bad Boys was originally developed for Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> My, what a different movie that would have been. Oh, that so if you think about Mul- uh, Mulholland's involvement, <laughs> uh, it was probably you're right. when it was a John Lovitz, Dana Carvey movie. In it's the great. film's early stages of development, uh, Brockheimer initially envisioned Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. There you go. And when the film was written for Carvey and Lovitz, the original title was Bad Boy for Bad Boys was Bulletproof Hearts. That's a badass name, actually. Now, you're probably right. The Jim Mahal and comedy parts were probably what was kept there. You're right. Speaking of Jim Mahal as well, back to Jim, this guy. So he was 19 when he started writing for Johnny. He was the youngest writer ever to write for Johnny. That's awesome. And he's the one a Writers Guild Award and has received 20 Emmy nominations in late night comedy, late night comedy category. So he's no slouch in his <clears throat> comedy writings other than Oscar. Yeah. Did you guys catch the small cameo by Marshall Bell too? Quato himself? No. Who's, at who's the Marshall very, Bell? Who's Marshall Bell? He's the guy that played Quato in, Total, in Recall. Uh, Total Recall. He's one of those that guys. He's been in a ton of but he was in Twins. What was his yeah, role in Oscar? He, he was one of the reporters at the uh, end after when when the uh, what's his name the other mobster got arrested. Yeah, yeah. I just watched uh, Total Recall two weeks ago. Yeah, I know we did it for it. we did it for with Seco. The Arnold, yeah, the Arnold. Yeah, project. did that even that aired already? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Seco's he's gone, right? He got a new job, so he's oh, yeah, did he? Yeah, but he's, he's like did, that stuff I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I recorded an episode with Running him that hasn't aired did we do yet. Running Man. Running Man? Yeah. yeah. He's got some stuff in the book, so I don't think the Arnold podcast is retired. Are you still doing it with him, no. Doug, or is it retired? Yeah, or? as far as I know. He, he said August we were going to pick back okay. up. Okay. I recorded a, a, an episode for the, the Mel season two as well. Which, which movie? That's possible. I don't even remember. <laughs> I know I did Machete Kills with him. Yeah, that came out, didn't it? I re- yeah, but I, I, came out. I swear I did another one. I don't know. It just feels like I haven't heard from Seiko in probably two months. I know it's been fantastic. Not, not, you, you know what you did? You know what you did? You, you summoned him. <laughs> you said his name three times. He's coming uh, back. Uh. Oh, no. I can see it now. Uh, Stallone sucks. I hate Stallone. He's such a... 
Here comes the ego again. All about Sly. I know. Why did we give a Dutch guy that that voice? I don't know. I, I always think he's German, anyways. Okay. Well, he's just a deep cuss here. So, like, I love Seiko. I've had some real fun podcasting with him. It's, he's a character. Yeah. In fact, yeah. he just messaged me during this record. I swear he knows we're live right now. So he just messaged me to say he's stuck in London. I'm, okay. Good luck. <laughs> I never okay. know what time it is either when I converse with Seiko. I'm, is it the middle of the night there? It's the middle of the night for me. Is it the middle of the day there for him? All right, boys. What's your hint to that? One last piece of trivia I found was actually fairly interesting. The trivia is the highlight of this episode. There was a fire. Did you hear about the fire? Anyone? No, I don't know. Okay, so you're right here. After a long day of filming, a fire broke out and caused extensive damage to the movie set. It destroyed several sets, including the trailers of some of the actors, Tim Curry's, for example. The flames also consumed the all the costumes and wow. 21, 21 vintage cars. Whoa. Oh, oh, man. So trailers, costumes, and cars. So this is a huge fire. Did they ever get down to the bottom of it? How- yes, I'm getting there. So because oh. of the fire, production had to stop for two weeks while they worked out to recreate. So they actually had to recreate. Was it insurance fraud for the cars? Please tell me uh, it was insurance fraud for the, the cars. I don't know more than this, but it turned out that the person hired to guard the cars was the one who admitted starting the fire. Dude, that was insurance for the cars. Whoever rented those cars out was, you know what? I need to get out of this vintage car game. (laughs) Light them up. Now, Oscar actually won some Oscar. Or sorry, was nominated for an Oscar. Speaking of costumes design, it was actually nominated for costume. Was it for the score? No, Uh, that scores. The score was okay, but that you're right about that six minute intro of the scene. Was it costume design? Yeah, costume design. Yeah, and it didn't win, right? No, it didn't win, but it got nominated for an Oscar. So Oscar was nominated for an Oscar. And also, it was nominated. Your drum roll, please. It was nominated for two. (laughs) Good old Sly. He was nominated for Worst Actor. Now, come on. That's, see. No, the the Razzies have always been low-hanging fruit. And and they'll never change. And uh, screw the Razzies. Yeah, so they nominated Sly again for, but he didn't uh, receive the award. And John Landis was also nominated for Worst Actor. Now, maybe, or Worst Director. He should have received it for The Twilight Zone for being a murderer, but I don't think he did. Talking about the Razzies real quick. Yeah, please. I I love when people give the Razzies a taste of their own medicine. And I recently saw footage. Paul Verhoeven, great legendary director of Total Recall, also, as we know, directed the fiasco known as showgirls and he knew he was going to be nominated for all these Razzies. So he actually showed up at the Razzies. So they had to do all of the categories and be ultra mean about the movie with Paul Verhoeven sitting there. And when he won worst director, which is a joke, he went up there and accepted it. And I love that because you know what? I'm not going to let you guys demean me or the work I do. Tom Green showed up and made his own red carpet for the Razzies. I just love that. And we've talked about the Razzies and what a joke it is and how they've always had it out for Sly, mm-hmm. even nominating from him for movies that have no business being nominated. And they don't have the balls to ever nominate the true movies that deserve it. It's... Yeah. It's screwed up. Uh, uh, somebody else received their award. It was Sandra Bullock did it too. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there's a, 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 a more than a handful of examples of people that were like, you know what? I'm going to yeah. go get my award. 
I would get it too, actually. In fact, it was the same year she was nominated and or I don't know. Is she an Oscar winner? She won a Razzie and an Oscar the same year. I think she's won. Wasn't she nominated? If she was ever nominated, it was for the blind side. Yeah, it was blind side. We'll close on that. We'll close on this if you want. This is what Sly had to say about the film. He said, I made a movie once and called uh, Oscar. And everybody who saw the movie and liked it would never go out. And, sorry, let me. Oh, sorry. This is Landis talking about Stallone. My apologies. Okay, Landis had this to say. He said, "I made a movie once, Oscar with Sylvester Stallone, and everybody who saw the movie and liked it would never go out and see Stallone." What? Never go and see Stallone? You're saying they wouldn't normally go see Stallone movies? I guess he goes. We did a preview of the movie, and someone wrote on the card, "Oh yeah, why didn't he take his shirt off and kill anybody?" But we had an extraordinary cast. We had Kirk Douglas and a girl who had never been in a movie before, Marissa Tomei. She was so extremely great from the first day. And what had she done before? Practically nothing. Now that's talent. She was unbelievably good. I did have something else here regarding Oscar. I thought I had it for her. Oh, this is during the Tulsa King. Sorry. He was speaking with comicbook.com in support of Tulsa King. Stallone says he still loves Oscar in spite of its lukewarm reception. There you go. It's so weird the movies that he he throws his retroactive support behind. He'll talk about regretting Rhinestone or some other movie, but then or but then he'll throw his support behind Oscar. It, it's weird. Probably also refers to his experience with making it. Yeah, some movies, even though the product might have been okay, he probably had a miserable time or. Issues with somebody behind the scenes. Comicbook.com asked Stallone whether Oscar's Angelo snaps Provolone or Tulsa King's Dwight the General Monfredi. Which one was the more dangerous character? Stallone said snaps, of course, with a laugh. <laughs> okay, so he's joking. <laughs> After Comicbook.com's Chris Killian said he loved Oscar, Stallone replied, I guess that's the guy doing the interview, I did too. I guess it was too much of a shocking transition from Rambo to that, but I love doing that kind of drama. This one here leans in that direction. Actually, didn't he reference in the movie that he was responsible for the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Yeah, he okay. he, he alluded to it. Yeah, oh, so, so that, that would definitely He's, make yeah, him yeah. More, more violent and dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so there you go, folks. Stallone dabbling. Here's the thing. We talked about how Stallone should dabble in more mafia stuff. He certainly does with the Tulsa King. Are we getting to season two? Is that not happening now? We've got the writer's strike right now. That being said. The strike was not helping. But there was an announcement that they were doing a season two, but then Sly. Yeah, he's done. You can't close the book on that the way they closed it. No, you swear. I don't know if it's a negotiating he, tactic or a jail. But you'd yeah. think that before they announced the season two, they would have had a, a, a contract in place for him. Or, or maybe that was just maybe negotiating for the family Stallone uh, to say, hey, I'm not going to do Tulsa King unless you commit to the family Stallone. I, I don't know. According to an article from uh, this month, Stallone's former mafia capo, Dwight. Will be in season two, and much of the cast will remain the same, according to this article. So, I don't know if they're if that was just Stallone being Stallone because he did say something. Oh, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm done. Mm. But that's but that was it. It was just him. I've he also separated it. from his wife, and then four weeks later was oh no, we're good. We're doing a reality show. Speaking of which, we figure out the timeline really quickly here. So during the reality show, there's no indication of his dog that he got his tattoo removal or the divorce the, because 
that all happened during the reality show before and after and during. So what they did was apparently they refilmed things to uh, to ignore that it ever happened. They whitewashed the separation from the reality show. It did never wow. it never happened. Yeah. Okay. I'm because if surprised. you actually if you actually do the timeline of when Frank Stallone performed at the Hard Rock Cafe, it was Sly went with Frank while he was separated. But they refilmed things to make him and Jennifer still together during that a phone call conversation and things like that. Mm. So in the reality show, quotation mark, of the family Stallone, there was never a divorce or separation. It's never spoken to. It's never brought up. And his new mm-hmm. dog that he had or got is never shown or talked about. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Gallagher also said, did, didn't Sly say Tulsa King involves spending too much time away from family? But yeah, they're thinking about re- they, well, one of those things was they're not going to film in Oklahoma again. They're going to film closer. That was one of the negotiations. <clears> yeah. <throat> It's weird. Do you need? Can't you film that anywhere and then do two weeks of location shooting in Oklahoma, where you get that big circle that they always show? You just get the landmarks stuff. Yeah, Sopranos filmed in the, in, in a studio in Queens, right. and then every once in a while they go to Montclair or wherever and and Nutley and shoot outside the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have to film in Oklahoma. You're right. Yeah, it's 2023. <laughs> <laughs> So we either get the season two of the Tulsa King or Cliffhanger 2. Which one will come out first? Okay. Depends on when the writers come back to work. That's right. Sly might die before that happens. Okay. That's it, there guys. We have it. <laughs> so there you go. We got already from Craig. He's never going to see this film again, unless he does another film review of this. Craig, you might, mm-hmm. are you done? Are you retired? Are you retiring? Talk about this film? I'm retiring, Oscar. Yes. Is there a contract I can sign saying I'll never <laughs> podcast about this movie again? Oh, crap. I forgot to hit record. All right. Then Alistair will be the only one that ever hears this. <laughs> no Doug, what about you? It, it had its moments. It had its moments. Sly was not the shining star in this, although I felt his game was elevated due to the people around him. And I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. There, there are other films of his that I would put to rest long before this one. Would I see rather, again. Oh, who knows? Sorry. But what, what would I rather? <laughs> would you rather watch Oscar or Stop or Mumble Shoot? <laughs> Oscar. Okay. No. How about Oscar or Rhinestone? Oscar. I hate Wow. Stone. Okay. How about Rhinestone or Stop or Mumble Shoot? Oh, man. That's a good one. Got to go Rhinestone. Stop or Mumble Shoot was probably the worst piece of garbage I ever watched. <laughs> 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 there we go. I will watch Stop or My Mumble Shoot before I watch Oscar again. Wow. Because I'm not because it's so ridiculous and stupid. I at least I, I don't know how to explain it. This again, this tries to be something. Look, both films try to be something or not, but this one it doesn't fail miserably. It fails oddly quietly, and it's almost not even enough to make fun of it because it looks good, everyone's acting good. It, it's filmed and edited nicely. Everyone brings their A game, but something falls short. And I can't quite put my finger on why that is. I don't, other than just maybe a tighter script. And, that 10 minutes, Ryan, that yeah. I was talking mm-hmm. about, I'm telling you. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, guys. So I don't know. What's our next film, by the way? Any teases? What do we have left here? Anyone? Daylight. Let's, we, let's officially we, do Daylight. No, we did Daylight. We did it with Gunda. <laughs> No, I'm not doing that. Come on, guys. No, that was done for the network. That was done for the network. That wasn't a slidecast. That was a network one. That was an actual podcast for the one. It's just what's the isn't there a poker movie? Shade? Oh, yeah, shade. shade. Yeah. Shade is shade. one that I put on a poll a couple times. We've done did we ever do did we end up doing ICU? 
Yes. Yes. yes okay. <laughs> Very um, forgettable. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Shade. I have the DVD. I I just looked wow. at the DVD the other day. Wow. So I know I I'm prepared to watch that. I love Shade. Shade's great. It's got one of the funniest young Stallone actors. I always love when they try and cast a right. young version of Sly, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it if we end up doing yeah. that movie. How oh. great the Sly and Shade is. I don't know. I I, I don't know what else is left. I, it's just around the corner. Something to consider. No, no, party kid. We already said party kitty and studs will be the final episode. Will be other than whatever happens to get released new. Uh, But speaking of new films, Expendables Part Four is actually coming out in September. That could very well should be our next one. That's next month. Okay, that means I have to go to the movies, which I'm not sure I'll be able to do. No, you can't. Come on, for the show, let's do it. Let's get on top of it. We've done the first three Expendables. This will be the fourth one. It's, I think people would want to stay here. It's got an R rating. It's back yeah. to the back to basics. Yeah, that means they just went in and they just turned on the blood effect. Craig, do you need us <laughs> to send you finance? Do you need money for the ticket? Do it's you need not money? that. It's just I, I don't know, man. I'm I, movie, okay. So like, your go, next one will be Expendables Part Four. When uh, in uh, September does it come out? The month of at some point. I'm not sure. All right, it's August 5th as we record this. Yes, well, I, I, Expendables yeah, Four or Shade. All right. Oh, release date September twenty second. So it's at the end of the month. Yeah, maybe make that October. Yeah, so maybe we could squeeze in one more before. But if we're gonna do that, because I know everyone's very busy. Well, it depends on when you record when you release this. I know. Uh, Sooner than later, I shouldn't take too long. This shouldn't be too hard of an edit. It can almost go out as is. I think it went without a hitch, almost to a degree. Yeah, I Um, I don't know. If you want to wait for Expendables, I'll go see it opening weekend. I I really, I in all honesty, call me a shitty fan. I haven't thought about Expendables 4, man. I watched the trailer. I forgot it the minute it was over. Mm-hmm. I've seen the poster. I've seen Sly's name creep up closer to the top. Oh, and I saw your post about the, the CGI blood. I, I don't know. It's hard for me to get excited about an Expendables movie. I didn't like, say you had to be excited. I just said you had to watch it. <laughs> no, but I should be. That's the thing. I should be excited for an Expendables movie, and I'm not. No, you're right. What's funny, I forgot part four was coming out too. I've had a busy summer moving from cross country, but I actually forgot. Oh, yeah, that's coming out this September, part four. I've been thinking about Tulsa King season two more than I have about Expendables four. Yeah. All right. So it's either going to be Shade or Expendables four, but if it's Shade, it'll be Expendables four afterwards. Put it that way. So either way, we're going to do a review. The network wants to hear it. All right, folks. Doug, are you giving us more Rocky three minute stuff? Yeah. Yes. I actually have an episode. I got a couple, but I was going to release one this weekend coming at you. All right. And Craig, do you have any guest, guest spots? I know you did a recent one on the Retromade podcast. Yeah, I had a ton of fun talking a movie that a lot of people don't really, I don't I did, know about. I didn't know about that movie till your episode. Do you want to say what yeah, it was? Yeah, on this season of Retromade, Katie's focusing on Patrick Swayze and Kurt Russell. And she asked me, hey, do you want to do a movie featuring either of those guys? I'll do either used cars or the best of times. Wow. And it looked like the best of times was easier to find for people <laughs> to actually go and watch it. Right. So we did the best of times, and Doug, I'm not a fan of the best of times. See you later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Doug just he, left the chat. Okay. He's gone. <laughs> but either way, yeah, Retromade, if you search in your podcatcher, Retromade, quite a few of us have been on there. You did an episode. You did yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Which I yelled, at the, I yelled at my headphones a couple times listening. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, do, uh, I, I know Sean, Sean from uh, I Must Break This Podcast did a, an episode. Yeah. Yeah, there's been some great uh, guest spots on there. She's doing great. We we love Katie, and I'm so happy and proud of her that she's branched out and does her own thing now. It's you great. know what I really dig is the first 30 minutes was just talking about 
what my movie was 1986 or 87 right and the first 30 minutes we just talked about pop culture in 1987 which was really cool and lots of fun and i know that's the format of the show listening to the big trouble in little china episode i got to hear your sort of experiences with pop culture from the year that came out it came out the same year oh that's crazy now do you have any other guest spots or anything coming on the horizon that you've been a part of? Or I may or may not have an episode with Seiko coming That's right. Out. <laughs> That's right. He's going to release it eventually. He hasn't been busy work. Okay, so Doug is gone. He he left by accident, so I, I'm yeah. sure he would have given his wish. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. Oscar could have been funnier, should have been funnier, looked good. Everyone came and did – it was an odd movie where everyone did their part except for – the editor, maybe director. So maybe next time, don't get a murder, direct your film. Okay. With that, we'll see you on the next one. All right. Take care. All right. Talk to you later, Craig. All right. Bye bye, man.